With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. E-S-N-Y. There's an ice cream truck outside. I'm not gonna go get it, but just like I got you know. distracted right when I started. I gotta stay home for baseball. That's all that matters. People, not really. It's just, I mean, who really cares about the people? But just like, let's stay home to make sure that baseball comes back. Well, it sounds legit now. Yeah, there's a lot of drama. There's uh, some progress in the last few days, that's for sure. Definitely a bit of an uproar, some seriousness. Oof. Who would have thought that would have come from Trevor Plouffe, of all people? Certainly a scenario. I don't think anyone saw that coming, but... Not in we'll the least, but I'm content. I'm happy with it. I'm, yeah. I'm glad this development came out. I mean, we'll talk about it. I mean, it's just... it's. This is like the Astros thing all over again, where it's, oh, John Boy Media, what do they know what they're talking about? And then everyone starts coming out of the woodworks like, well, there actually might be a plan. This time, there might. So you know what? This week, but then again, next week, it could be entirely different, like we've discussed, because every week we come up with a new plan. Ugh. Yeah, every week, it's, it's a new plan, and there's no actual traction towards it. So it gets kind of annoying at a certain point. You're just like, listen, it's nice. I, I've said before, I actually kind of respect Rob Manford for being so open to just any idea, right? Like, he's just like, whatever gets this baseball is fine by me. And I, as a commissioner, I think that's very good. But it's also just kind of at this point of like, I, I've heard 30 different plans. I really don't need any more like hopeful ones and like planned ones or projected ones. I just tell me what the plan is and then we'll go from there. I don't really need to hear the 10,000th time that there's a potential plan like it just isn't doing anything for me anymore yep exactly I mean really just like hearing a new one every single week you're kind of it just gets to the point where you're like okay this isn't even news anymore because it doesn't even feel serious yeah no it's it's not like it I I remember like what a week ago it was the the three different divisions right the east central and west and at that point, I was just kind of like, all right, I'm over it. We've heard the Arizona one. We've heard the Arizona-Florida one. We've heard now this one. Then we've heard they're all just going to be normal. And it's like, all right, just come to me when it's like, yep, we we have a deal. At that point, that's great. But before then, I just don't want to hear it. I'm over it. We have a very strong philosophy on this podcast of under-promise and over-deliver. It applies to Yankees injuries, and it applies to plans to get baseball back. Just tell us everything is terrible and nothing is ever going to work, and then surprise us out of nowhere with the league starting. That's fine with me. I'll, I'll take it. It's a huge, Just, uh, huge moment of relief when it actually happens. Exactly. It'll be such a weight lifted off. But yes, um, under-promise, over-deliver, just like Luis Sessa. That's what we like to do here. <laughs> 
I like that enough. I like that. Max, Max is our fellow Louis Sessa for closer role. Absolutely. Actually, I listened back to the last po- podcast Max was on. I should also introduce us by now. This is episode 55 <laughs> of the Bleacher Creatures podcast presented by Elite Sports New York, Crossing Broad, and Warwick Gaming. Uh, Max, I don't know if you heard, but we got sold. We sold out, yeah. so we're big I time heard, now. I, I've heard. It's all good. You got to make money, man. You got to make money. Absolutely. Also brought to you by Rivercrest NYC, now doing delivery and takeout, and they will do takeout beer. So... If you're in Astoria. That's the way to go. Perfect. Awesome. Well, I know that uh, obviously today we put up some some questions for Max. And of course, um, the key is we're not a math podcast. So we decided to bring someone on to do math for us. (laughs) And that would be you. Yes. Uh, you You can call me the resident numbers guy. We can we can go with that. Perfect. <laughs> Max okay. is our Katie Sharp. Yes, yes. Oh, I love it. Um, so yeah, we we post some questions on Twitter um, as well, and a lot of people are very interested in asking you some questions, which is awesome. Um, so I mean, do we want to just start with those? Is that good? I'll start yeah, with sure my own question that. for Max. Oh. I want to know all about his internship with the Washington Nationals. <laughs> I know it wasn't too long before the league shut down, but yeah, yeah that was uh, it was certainly a dramatic experience. So the last time I talked to you guys, I had just finished up with the, at the winter meetings, and um, I had actually just either I think I had just gotten home from Disneyland. I went with to Disneyland with my girlfriend. So uh, the process about a week or two later, I texted the guy who is now my boss. Uh, and I said, um, I have a few days to let my old company know if I'm coming back or not. And he's like, all right, sounds good. You're going to talk to the assistant GM of the Nats, uh, Mark Shalaba, who is the assistant GM head of player development for the national. And I was like, okay, cool. When he goes, he'll call you eventually. I was like, okay. So then like 40 minutes later, the guy called me and, you know, we have about a 15-minute conversation, and then it kind of hits, like, I just talked to the assistant GM of the team that just won the World Series. That's pretty crazy. Uh, and then the very next day, this was about, like, December 20. That was a few days after Christmas, I think. Uh, and he, they offered me the job. And so then I go to spring training, I think, in mid-February, and the three weeks that I'm there, I'm working with the minor league players, filming everything that they do, tracking all the Rapsodo data, uh, working with certain uh, high-speed cameras to get uh, angles and use them for mechanics feedback as well as some grip stuff. And uh, we're working on getting training in and practicing with what they their scoring system that they use. Also becoming more familiar with some of the statistics that they have in-house and how to navigate all that and all the technology that we have to use. But I mean, you know, it was certainly a lot of fun being there. You know, every day you run into different people. Uh, I think the the player that I ran into the most was uh, Max Scherzer, which is at the same time awesome as well as daunting because it's like, oh my God, that's probably one of the best pitchers to ever pitch in the history of baseball. And there he is. And me and another intern were talking, pitching with him for about 15 minutes. And that was Honestly, probably the best conversation I've ever had about baseball in my entire life. And uh, but like 
also just the employees of the NAPS are fantastic. They were super nice and they've treated me really well, even during this process. Like, obviously this has been very hard on a lot of different people, much harder than it has been on me. And they've still been really nice to me. Um, you know, but, uh, it was so much fun working with the players and the coaches every single day. I mean, they're all really nice people and just learning from them, uh, what they understand, what they're looking for and sort of, you know, what they look for in players, the numbers that they like, uh, things that they look for every single day from players to do is just really, you know, you never stop learning about baseball. And those guys are very, very smart. And so it was a lot of fun to learn from them. That's awesome. Wow. That's so yeah, cool. Wow. <laughs> like you've just rendered us speechless right here. I'm just so used to watching Max Scherzer just on TV, especially during the World Series, yeah, and just how dominant he was. He's much different when he's not pitching. Because when he's on the mound, you're like, this guy's just like an animal. And it's true. Like, we, the, the Nats employees and I talked about that and just like how just insanely focused he is and how vicious he is. And it's so much fun to watch. But when he's not uh, pitching, he's very nice. He treats every employee super well. He's not rude to anybody. He's like, he wants to help people and work with people. He wants to know what people think. And it's just like, that, that's the reason that he's the top guy, right? Like, that's the reason he's the ace of the staff, one of the leaders of the clubhouse, is because he's super open and engaging and also just a nice guy. It was, I mean, obviously, like, you know, you're scared at first because you're like, oh, my God, it's Max Scherzer. But, no, he's really nice. And so it was, it was a lot of fun being able to be around a bunch of different players. I remember one day we were working on uh, one of the apps that we use to see if it could, uh, like, take multiple shots on this camera. And so this guy was, like, doing a fake pitching motion. And Steven Strasburg's walking by, and Steven Strasburg just starts roasting this guy for his terrible mechanics and his fake pitching motion. And it was hysterical. Strasburg was telling him, like, you got to get out there more. You got to extend more. And Strasburg's just like, oh, all right. <laughs> but it was so funny. But, yeah, so, no, I mean, it's just – go ahead. I was just going to say, hearing people talk about pitching really gets me thinking, like – especially in the Yankees organization, they ha they're they so blessed to have David Cohn there. Like, David Cohn is just the guy. Like, his segments of speaking with Garrett Cole are so interesting. Can you imagine? Here, I'm giving I'm giving David Cohn an idea. David Cohn should be going around with the Yankees all the time, and he should be talking to these star pitchers about pitching. I think it'd be so incredible to hear just from all of them. Yeah, I mean, David Cohn's obviously, he's probably in terms of, uh, announcers and broadcasters in baseball, one of the smartest broadcasters there is just because of how open he is to the advanced metrics and how much he wants to learn about them. Uh, there's one of the advanced pitching metrics that I sent him that I thought he would like, and he responded and he basically said, that's actually really interesting. I'd be curious to learn more about it. And I told him who to contact. And so I don't know if he ever actually contacted uh, the guy, but that's, I mean, that's, Obviously, being able to talk to somebody like that, just learn from them is really smart. And obviously, the Yankees now have Matt Blake as their head pitching coach. And, you know, he's very, very intelligent. Fun fact about Matt Blake, he and I are LinkedIn uh, connections. I added him like three years ago when he was the pitching, like pitching coordinator of the Indians. And I was just looking for to talk to people in baseball. And I said, he didn't answer, which is fine. Obviously, LinkedIn, not everybody checks it. But yeah, he and I are LinkedIn connections. And I was, when I, he got the job, I saw that. And I was just like, oh, that's, 
that's a small world kind of thing. But yeah, but uh, yes, being able to talk with like pitchers about just pitching and how they incorporate modern day data with like old style mechanics is just, I mean, as you've heard Cole talk, he can go on for hours about it. And it, I could too. It's really, really interesting stuff. I would love to just like sit down and let Garrett Cole lecture me about pitching for like an entire semester of college. I'll just take yeah. one class. It's Garrett Cole pitching. Like, just let James him talk. not a pitcher, but yes, sit down and lecture me. I will take it all in. Yeah, I just want to learn. I just yeah. want to know. He's, listening to him talk about pitching is just so amazing. It's just like this guy, I thought Aaron Boo described, well, he knows what he can and can't do. And he knows what he wants. He knows how to go about it. And you just listen to him talk and just like he understands himself so well and exactly not just what he can do, but also what he's looking for. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the impression that I got from Scherzer and Strasburg as well of just like they know what they want and they're looking for specific things to do specific things. And that's what makes them elite, right? That's what makes them some of the best pitchers in baseball. It's just they know themselves and they know what they want to do. Well, that was my pitching nerd conversation. <laughs> oh, there's definitely going to be more, well, more analytics, you know, based questions. <laughs> Not necessarily just pitching, but um, yeah, let's, uh, let's dive right in. It seems like a lot yeah. of people are really interested in the subject of analytics for you. Yeah, um, well, makes sense. Yeah. As well as, uh, as well as getting into, um, getting into working into base in baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which obviously you know a little bit about, well, just a little, maybe. Just a little bit, just a tiny bit. <laughs> um, so Emily Nyman uh, asks, if a fan wants to start learning more about analytics and how they're applied, where do you suggest they start? That's a great question. Uh, I love Emily. Emily and I talk uh, in a group chat together a lot, and she's hilarious on Twitter. Uh, she has the ability to somehow make fun of somebody and for them to still like them after. And that's a real talent. And she has that. So Emily is great. If you're not following on Twitter, I recommend following her. Uh, the question of where to start, that's always a, that's a very common question when people ask, well, well I want to get more knowledgeable about an analytics. I want to get more knowledgeable about abermetrics and what teams are doing. Uh, the best place to start is fan graphs. They have a bunch of articles and they have all, most of the major statistics that people use and so the best place to go is to go there and to just go in the glossary and look at each statistic and sort of like figure out what they are. And so, you know, you can read about their war calculation, uh, way to runs created plus, uh, FIP, XFIP, Sierra, and all these different statistics. And sort of just like knowing what they are is a good first step. The next step is knowing how to use them. And I think that's the step that a lot of people seem to like not understand. So, uh, for example, I remember a few months ago, somebody was trying to make a point about how analytics are not that great because they said Glaber Torres' 3.8 uh, Fangraphs war was not all-star level. Okay, according to Fangraphs like, tiers, it, it didn't fit into the tier of all-star, but you have to understand that Glaber Torres was at 3.8 F4 for the season, which also was like third among the American League second basemen, and fourth among American League shortstops. So by definition, he would be in that upper echelon of his league, but that's how people can misinterpret something. They can look online and be like, well, it doesn't fit into that criteria, so why is he 
know, why was he an all-star? Well, because he was an all-star, because relative to his position, he was performing at a high level. Uh, and there are certain things that people don't understand. Someone might see a catcher who's got like, uh, like Yadier Molina last year. He had a 99 weighted runs created, and 100 is average for the MLB player. Uh, and people will be like, oh, so he was a below average hitter. Well, yes, on terms of a major league scale, but if you look at just catchers, the average catcher was at like an 85% or 85 weighted runs created. So he was a well above average hitting catcher. I think it's common knowledge now at this point, like, Catching is not exactly the position where you expect a lot of offense, but if you get it, that's great. Whoa, but, hold on. Tell tell that to the Gary Sanchez haters. Yeah, so like a lot a lot of that comes up with Gary of he's always been an above average hitting catcher in his career. Even in twenty eighteen when he struggled mightily at the plate, uh, he was still an above average offensive catcher. Also another thing to say about Gary Sanchez is in twenty eighteen his plate discipline was so good he just was hitting into a lot of bad luck and so then in 2019 you saw it in that first half of the year where he was just on fire it was he wasn't hitting into the bad luck the plate discipline was still relatively there but then in the second half he was hurt and that plate discipline started to go away a little bit and every year i say this with gary sanchez it's just a all the tools are there it's just a matter of putting them together but he's a very good example of how it's very easy to look at metrics and not understand them. Because his defense early on, people complain about his defense early on in his career a lot, right? And they said it needs to get better. Uh, and I said, well, he's actually a really good pitch framer. And when it comes to catching, pitch framing, though it might die down in a few years with the electronic strike zone, uh, is really important. Being able to frame well will make you a very good catcher. Austin Hedges can't hit. He just can't but he's an immaculate framer so he's always going to have value as long as the electronic strike zone isn't around because he can frame really well gary sacrificed his framing the last few years to block the ball better especially in 2019 he did it a lot in 2019 and his blocking was around average in 2019 but his framing was atrocious last year and so his value kind of plummeted a bit and that's because framing is more important so that's why when people look at statistics for defense, they look at pass balls with catchers. That's not really something that's good to look at. Pass balls are, first of all, they're subjective. What's the difference between a pass ball and a wild pitch? That's up to human interpretation. That's it's a lot of gray area in there. I, I, I bet on the other end, it's like sometimes it's really hard to tell if that should have been a pass ball or a wild pitch. Uh, so those aren't great statistics. And also when it comes to like not great statistics, Errors is another one that's like super misleading because it's human, human judgment. Anything that involves subjective human judgment, I tend to say is bad. So when it comes to looking into analytics, go on fan graphs. Those are objective measures to look at and just go into the glossary and like sort of read about them. And if you don't understand, ask. I think that's the, a misconception that people have. It's like you have to learn on your own. No, you can ask questions. If you want to ask me questions, you want to ask other analytics people on Twitter questions, that's the ask. If you don't understand, ask. Somebody can explain it. And somebody wants to explain it. Somebody wants to help, too. Uh, just sitting there going, like, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense to me, so I'm not going to like it. Isn't going to get you anywhere. But ask questions if you don't understand. People want to help. And don't, don't judge defenders by errors. That's dumb. Yeah, don't. 
I think anyone can like sort of agree that errors are bad, but like, yeah, don't, don't do that. Don't cite fielding percentage. Don't cite assists. Don't cite putouts. Don't cite errors. Just don't, don't do that. <laughs> All right. I think we had a second question from Emily too. Of course we did. I got this one. I got it. I got it all queued up and everything. I'm prepared today. Fantastic. Very prepared. Um, okay, perfect. And by the way, uh, I know you said to follow Emily. If you don't know how to spell her name, I'll just give you her at. It is M. She does it. That should be pretty easy, right? M. She does it. Anyway, uh, second question. Considering the starring role analytics plays in nearly every aspect of the business on and off the field, do you think MLB slash analytics community should do more in terms of helping fans understand them? I'm hoping you're going to say yes. Yes. The, the, the obvious, the short answer is yes. Emily and I have actually talked about this a lot. And it is something I have harped on is that the analytics community as a whole is not very good about persuasion. And I have said this before, if I feel a lot of people in the analytics community are only posting stuff to get like gotcha moments and like make people feel bad and make people feel uh, kind of dumb at times. And I've, I've said before uh, that that's, <laughs> that's not the way to go about it. Um, no, that's not going to get you any more analytics no, followers. No, it's really not. It's, it's the, the best way to really go about it is to sort of say, this and that may have been the way that it used to be, but nowadays we have more information. Here's why this information is useful. I, when I was interviewing the Nats, uh, they, they asked me a question that was, all right, in a hypothetical scenario, the coach says, explain WOBA to me. And I said, does this coach have any experience with WOBA before? And he says, no. And I said, all right. So WOBA is what we call weighted on base average. And what it does is it sort of like takes aspects of batting average, on-base percentage, and slugging and kind of morphs it into one thing. Batting average is flawed because it weights all hits the same, right? I think that most people can agree with that, that that's not good because all hits are not the same. Not, there's tries, not a lot of hits that are the difference between 250 and 300. It's not yeah. a lot of hits. Yeah. Uh, it's also just a triple is more valuable than a double, which is more valuable than a single. So... Slugging percentage tried to try to make up for that by saying, all right, a single is one base, a double is two base, a triple is three bases, and a home run is four bases. Okay, logic's pretty flawed, but it tried to make up for that. What WOBA does is it assigns values based off of run expectancy of a walk, a hit by pitch, a single, double, triple, and a home run. And I said, so try to think about it like it's similar the batting average and weighted on and on base percentage, but now it weights everything to what their actual value is as a hit. And you know, if you and so someone said, well, aren't there flaws with well? But yeah, of course, there's obviously flaws with well, but there's flaws with every statistic. And part of the problem with the analytics community is there's not an ability to recognize some flaws. Obviously, every statistic is going to have flaws, and you should always argue for those statistics because they are better than what we what people used to use, but you should also recognize like, yes, there are shortcomings to everything. I talked about the other day, someone asked me if, uh, if I could change one thing about modern day sabermetrics, what would I do? And when it comes to hitting statistics, I think that there's gotta be a way to somehow incorporate uh, the length of the net bat, like 
if you have a 12 pitch at bat, I don't really think it matters. The result that was a really good at bat, but you're just you trying to pad out. Brett Gardner's stats. You're just trying to play to I, Allison. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, Brett Gardner is somebody now. that comes up with that. Yeah. It's like the length of an at bat is something that matters. I also think like there are situational aspects that aren't accounted for in certain, uh, in like certain advanced metrics, like a sacrifice fly or moving the runner over without a bunt. Uh, or situations where it was not, it was a sacrifice, non-sacrifice fly. You know, the runner moves to third, but they don't get credit for a sacrifice fly for some reason. Uh, That stuff has some value in it, but it's difficult figuring that out. But I think that's one way to improve. And those, obviously, all metrics are flawed, and there's way more flaws to point out. But the and MLB also should be, promoting more advanced metrics as well. I saw, I remember the nationals have posted a few videos about some advanced metrics and players that do well in those advanced metrics on the national. And that's a really good idea. The Yankees at games last year, they, on their stadium, they've had like explaining sabermetric segments and stuff. I remember there was one with Zach Britton at the game I went to Zach Britton was talking about spin rate and that's good. Making more fans knowledgeable about the numbers is a good thing. There's no, downside to it so definitely i think the analytics community needs to take a step back and realize that we can't play gotcha all the time um and that it's better to explain where we've gone wrong than just call people dumb uh and also i mean i'm guilty of it some people say some really dumb stuff and it's really hard not to just say you're an idiot but no some people just aren't going to accept it yeah, as, as a fact they just don't want that, it. they uh batting average that's all i use that's how i know if you're a good hitter or not and it's just not right. Yeah, and so it's you got to sort of like understand the arguments that you can convince somebody and you can't. And, you know, you can't get sort of baited into arguing to somebody and stuff like that. So the analytics community definitely needs to improve. But also at the same time, there's some really good people out there who only try to, you know, support baseball and post cool stats. Uh, Jeremy Frank is one. He's very smart in terms good of follow. You know, yeah, analytics aspect, but all he does is like he just likes to post stats about cool stuff. And you know, he's got a book out. He's got he's had two books, and uh, I recommend following him as well. Uh, I think his is at MLB Random Stats. Uh, but those guys, those guys are doing really good work, and I hope that they continue to do so. You also mentioned Zach Britton. Uh, Allison and I came to a crazy realization this spring. Did you know that Zach Britton is hysterical? Like, he's, like, really funny. Yeah, the, okay. I had no idea. No idea. He was so funny. But then they post all these videos he's in. And he, I remember listening to his R2C2 episode last year, which is another great podcast. Uh, and he was so funny on it. And I was like, man, Zach Britton's got a great sense of humor. And then all these videos they post with him and stuff. And I was like, dang, Zach Britton is really funny. Why? Why doesn't he talk more? And then I learned he was the Yankee player rep. And I was like, ah, oh, that kind of makes sense. Uh, why he's so vocal now. He's the Yankee player rep. He's probably trying to do more on social media and stuff to advertise and everything. And yeah, I mean, he is really, really funny. I think we're just like right now we live in such a bubble where like we don't know many players personalities like that's the thing about like Mike Trout I've always you know people are always like well Mike Trout has no personality I was like well he probably does he's just not able to express it and that's why I feel like that would be so much better especially without baseball this year we've kind of seen more well we know Tommy Canley we know Tommy Canley very well unintelligible Tommy noises (laughs) 
Right, okay. exactly. So, you know, we we know some of these players, but at the same time, like in spring training, they really started to do the thing where they really started to showcase personalities of certain players that you had no idea were actually entertaining or actually had a personality in general. Like Brett Gardner, he's kind of a douche. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the jokes about Gardner's pranks, I guess, are like the one thing yeah. that's remained stable throughout the years is that Gardner's the best prankster in the yeah. entire clubhouse. And everyone's just like, yeah, he's kind of a dick with those things, but he's really funny. Right, and, but he's uh, funny. Like he you would have never known that a few years ago. Like a few years ago, you had no idea. And I think part of the reason that it's gotten so good over the years is uh, mentioned earlier, R2C2 has been really good at showcasing player personality. Like hearing the players talk to CC and Ryan Rucco, that kind of helped MLB get like something they could point to of like, all right, here's something that's good with that's showing off personality. Now, how do we build upon that? And I give MLB credit and the Yankees credit and other teams credit. This spring training you brought up, they were very good about trying to get players mic'd up as much as Paul, get players I to do mic ups. It, uh, Instagram Q, Q&As, uh, Twitter Q&As, doing as much as they can to like get the players out there more. And I, the players seem to really appreciate it. They're like, this is nice. This is what we want to do, and this is what we appreciate. Yeah, even without baseball. I mean, I don't know if you followed the uh, the MLB, the show, Players Tournament at yeah, all. That, but, Blake Snell was hilarious. Joey yeah, the, was Tommy Canely, man. Yeah, Tommy Canely was great. Like, there's so many players that, like, you would have never guessed that they were so funny and likable. And, like, this really brought it out. I mean, Tommy Canely probably gained, he probably gained so many more fans because he was just so funny during it. Right. Like when he was allowed to just stream and everything and everyone's just like, man, this guy is hysterical. And, you know, Blake Snell has garnered quite the following now because he was really funny and very just vocal and active amongst the uh, players about everything and the show tournament. But, yeah, I mean, being able to advertise the players is such a so important and definitely definitely took some right steps. And I hope they continue to do so. And a lot of them have utilized, um, I know a lot of people don't follow this as frequently as I might, but Instagram Live, um, you know, I think yeah. Aaron Judge and Blake Snell went on together and Blake Snell's like, ask him, he's like writing down, he's like, okay, so what are you looking for when you're facing me? And he's like, okay, okay, you know, writing everything yeah. down. And for, Like, first of all, being able to show off the player's personality is cool, but also just like in those moments of like that question, Blake Snell asking Aaron Judge, what are you looking for? That's a that's awesome. Being able to know what the players are looking for against each other is really cool. Like being able to hear if if you go on live and hear Aaron Judge talk to let's just say David Price or something, right? Like David Price and David Price is saying, "I would try and get you out with cutters in," and Judge say, "No, oh, I'm expecting that, so I'm actually going to like do this." You're never going to get that conversation anywhere else, and also like. Five years ago, you wouldn't have gotten that, right? But being able to hear that now is just like, there's no fan that's not going to say, oh, that's cool. I think it like it also adds another layer. I know we're getting off topic, sorry, but like this is cool to me. Um, I, it adds almost like another layer where if you're just a casual baseball fan and you're not really looking for the analytics and things like that, you're really delving into the minds of these players and realizing yeah. that they're not just going up there like looking for nothing just to swing away. Like Gary Sanchez is not going up there to just – Fastball, fastball, fastball. Like, he knows what he's looking for because he's a smart player. It's really interesting to delve into the baseball mind and really see when they're going up to the plate what exactly they're looking for, and they have a plan every single time. It's it's incredible. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I could have phrased it any better than that. Just being able to hear the players talk about playing baseball. Just, right, you want to hear, as we talked about with Garrett Cole earlier, right, you like being able to hear players talk about their sport and what they're looking for and what they're doing. That If you're not into the numbers, just hearing that about the mechanics of the game and the fundamentals of the game can be really fascinating. And even to a numbers guy like me who really delves into the numbers, guy, I love hearing about that stuff. That's super fascinating to me. Agreed. Sorry, we went off topic, but I like that conversation. Allison, too. we we had a ten minute conversation two weeks ago about Danny Phantom. There is no off topic. I remember listening podcast. to this. <laughs> there is nothing we can't do here. By the way, my account is not still active, so sorry. Oh, bummer. I know. All right. Uh, the next one is from Stephen, who is at Go Cubs Forty Nine. So we love having fans of different teams come here. Love it. Um, so Stephen asks, how have you had to approach your internship with the Nationals with respect to other ventures in data analysis? Yes, uh, that was a, that's a very good question from Stephen. Stephen is another, if you are looking for a sabermetric follow, that's a, he's a, one of the really good ones about trying to explain himself and his reasoning. And he does a lot of really interesting stuff. So uh, he's a good follow. But his question is a good one. I am... My data analysis skills are very much on the, I look at the data and interpret it and try and explain it to other people. But if you're asking me, oh, how do you calculate that? And like, I can explain it. I know how it's done, but I can't do like the coding and everything to do it on a large scale. I can't do that. So when I approached this job at the Nationals in regards to all the data and technology that we're using, I was trying to build my skills of being able to interpret things, being able to all right, this player has, you know, he's seeing the, you know, his chase rate, let's say, is well above average, but he's not seeing, you know, his strikeouts are, are above. Is that a factor of, like, he's taking too many pitches in the zone, or is he, uh, you know, just getting hosed a little bit? Uh, so being able to, like, figure that out and then interpret that and give it to the coaches. And so that's, like, really important is, being able to interpret the data and explain it. If you can calculate it and do all that, that's great. And that there's a lot of value in that too. That's not really my area of expertise and my, what I'm trying to do is more on the lines of, all right, somebody can calculate it or I can calculate it, but it doesn't really matter if nobody can explain it. And so my whole approach to Nats was just being as open to explanation and listening to what the coaches wanted and the players wanted and needed and trying to give them that information. Uh, so that's what I would, that's what I was trying to do. And also just like, this is sort of a good practice for in terms of data analysis of just like, there's going to be so much data, so much, like the amount of data we tracked just in practice was insane. There was so much data. So being able to not only understand it, interpret it, explain it is also just being able to manage how you track it. Uh, so I would probably say the biggest skill that I'm trying to learn is just interpret, explain, and track. But uh, it's that's a very good question. For other people, it might be different. Um, definitely might be more on the lines of like, I want to know how to calculate these things. And if that's, if that's what you want to do, then I would recommend just like learning how to code, learning how to use Excel really, really well, uh, I just learned how to use Excel really well in general. It's going to be a lifesaver. 
but that's it's different areas for different people. But if for me, it was all about interpret, explain, and track. Yeah, we're definitely seeing that trend in baseball with guys who are like Aaron Boone, for example, had no coaching yeah. experience whatsoever. He was an analyst for ESPN. And then he gets hired for the New York Yankees because in the interviews, they said Aaron Boone is really good at absorbing this data and then applying it to his team. He knows how to yeah. how to interpret all of this information that we've gathered and then make the best decision on how to get the team a win with that data, as opposed to yeah. Joe Girardi, who's kind of famous for being like, well, I'm going to go with my gut on this one. He understood the data, but he did, you know, he's an old school he guy. To, so he this is what I think. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Boone in 2019. In 2018, he wasn't, he was learning, right? He was, he was trying to like figure out if I should go with my gut or a little bit, or if I should go with the numbers and stuff. And it was obvious at times when he was making a decision and didn't really know what to do. But in 2019, he routinely, almost every single time a bullpen decision was made, was going with what the numbers were telling him to do. And that's important. And being able to then take those numbers and tell the players why they're important. I, if you, Again, I keep referencing this podcast, but CC Sabathia talks about at times players don't want to hear those numbers, right? They don't want to hear that they're very good at giving up weak contact. But Aaron Boone's speciality seems to be relating to the players and like, listen, I know you, you know, like you're going through a rough patch right now and like these numbers say anything, but like I know you're not really into that. But he's very good at somehow getting those numbers through to players and what they mean and what they're, you know, how important they are. And also just being, you know, somebody who the players can turn to. And Boone's done a, just a very good job of absorbing the data, interpreting it, explaining it to the players, making decisions off that data. And uh, he was, I mean, he was phenomenal in 2019 at managing. Like, managers' jobs are very different nowadays than they were, say, even five years ago. But he, he was very, very good at his role last year. Yeah, you don't have 40-year vets saying, I know what to do right here because in 1988, I had a very similar yeah. situation, and I yeah, did that, and it worked. So I'm going to do that again in 2019. Or like, this guy got, you know, I brought in this pitcher against the face this guy the other night. He got him out, so I'm going to do it again. Like, you're really going to base the decision off a one-at-bat sample size? It might work, but like, the thought process behind the, the decision is bad, and don't do that. And if Max tells you not to do that, you shouldn't do it. Yeah, that's that's how I judge my my Twitter takes. If I get a retweet from Max or if he says, like, yeah, that's right. Like, I know I'm in the right on this one. I got exactly. this one. Exactly. I don't know if it's the best standard to live by, but I appreciate it. No, what was the question that we answered? Oh, the free agent question yeah. that we answered last week. Yeah. And you were like, they, they did it. And we're like, oh, my God, we did it. Would... We did it. Yes, if I were the Yankees, I would not be pursuing any major free agent. I mean, I think if you can bring back uh, LeMahieu, Paxson, and Tanaka, that's fine. Like, I, this team is the, – the Yankees are capable of winning a World Series right now. At, I mean, at full strength, which, first of all, if they do end up playing, there's a possibility Aaron Hicks could be the first player ever to not miss a game from Tommy John, which would be <laughs> a hilarious, hilarious trivia question years down the line of, on Jeopardy if it's still going is this uh, this player uh, is the only player to not miss a game due to Tommy John surgery someone's going to be like who is Aaron Hicks and it's going to be like well if he doesn't make the Hall of Fame that's his claim to fame uh, 
But, I mean, the Yankees are loaded. I mean, their outfield is Stanton, uh, Hicks, Judge, Gardner, Tockman. I mean, that's, first of all, defensively, that's probably the best defensive outfield in baseball. Offensively, oh, yeah. that's probably the best offensive outfield in baseball. I mean, then on the infield, Boyd or LeMahieu at first, I would prefer Boyd because LeMahieu is so good at second base that she needs to play there to get his maximum value. Torres at short is kind of a an enigma a bit of he shows last year in small sample size that when he was positioned as a shortstop, he was fine. He was average. And in 2018, it was sort of the same thing. But then last year, he had a lot of trouble with the gloves at second base. And that kind of concerns people going from second base to shortstop is a very difficult transition. But Glaber was a natural shortstop coming up. So it's kind of like you really just have to wait and see. Um, Urshela is a guy who makes a lot of really spectacular plays, but he muffs up the routine once a little bit because yeah, I just don't know. Maybe he just gets in his own head sometimes or something. So if he, which is a very easy fix, by the way, he can easily become uh, like um, a, an elite defender if he just fixes the routine plays, right? Like that's not a difficult fix. If somebody makes all the routine plays but can't make the very difficult ones, it's sort of like, all right, they're kind of stagnant as a defender. Uh, but Urshela, he, he was excellent with the bat last year. And I think there was a topic going around this offseason about Urshela versus Andujar. And people were like, why are you so quick to give up on Andujar? Like, he was so good in 2018. And uh, this is sort of where these advanced metrics come into play. Andujar does not walk, like, at all. No, never, never. Like, it, and he hasn't in the minors, too. He's a swinger. So, which one of the most in one of the most stabilizing skills in baseball from a hitter's perspective is play discipline. If you can walk a lot, you're more likely to be successful because you understand the strike zone better. And if you understand the strike zone better, you know what to swing at. And knowing what to swing at usually leads to better results. Um, so Andrew Hart doesn't walk a lot. He also hit the ball on the ground a little bit too much. And that leads to some people thinking that that could create overperformance. Uh, it's possible for somebody to uh, overperform their expected weighted on base average, which is based off of exit velocity, launch angle, basically how hard you hit the ball and like where the defenders relatively are and how likely the play is to be made on like a grand scale. And it's possible for players to overperform that consistently. Uh, we've, I've, we've seen it with a few players before. It's also possible for players to constantly underperform that. But in a one-season sample, it's very hard to read. And Andujar is notoriously not good on defense. Um, so a lot of skepticism was there with Andujar. With Ashella, it's sort of like, all right, the glove potential to be better is higher. Uh, also, the bat, he had a better expected weighted on base average. He hit the ball harder, and he also hits it in the air a little bit more. So... The sample sizes of Andujar and Urshela are relatively the same. So if you're asking who should start at third, take the guy who has the slightly better offense and has a little bit more of stabilizing skill. Urshela doesn't walk a lot either, and that's still a concern in my book. Uh, but he's a better glove. He hits the ball a little bit harder, and he hits the ball in the air a little bit more. For all those reasons, it seems like the choice there was Urshela. But people would seem very upset about not picking Andujar. And I get it. Obviously, his performance in 2018 was very good offensively. Having a 130 rated runs created plus means you're 30% better than average. And that's really good. But there's 
a lot of reasons to not necessarily uh, buy into that. Um, and then, so when it comes to Rochelle versus Andujar, if you said Andujar, I, I understand he was great, but you have to understand the metrics that say Rochelle is probably the guy, and you have to understand the Yankees are going to go with those metrics too. So Rochelle is going to be their guy. Uh, with Sanchez behind the plate, I actually really like Tanner Swanson and what he was trying to do with what he did with Mitch Garver last year and what he's trying to do with Gary this year. Gary obviously has potential to be a great framer because he was at one point in time, right? So he can do it again. And obviously, offensively speaking, if he ever puts it all together, I mean, he could, he has the potential for his peak output to be an MVP caliber level because he can hit the ball at a catcher at the catching position better than almost anybody. And if he can frame at an average or to above average rate, it'll be very, very good. But I so, mean, what you're saying is we shouldn't put Kyle Higashioka in the opening day lineup? No, don't. Gary Sanchez, I, I read an article from a website that was that Gary Sanchez might be traded soon or the Yankees should explore trading him. So, there are very few catchers on the market available. I remember in this offseason, someone had floated the idea of potentially trading JT for JT Romuto, and JT Romuto is a great catcher, but Gary has a little bit higher of a ceiling. The only catcher that I thought was worth going after was Yasmani Grandal, who I think is the best catcher in baseball because he's so good at framing and he's been so consistent the last few years. Also, Grandal and Gary have played first a little bit, and so you can get guys some a little bit of rotation of Grandal's now can be the main catcher, but if certain catchers want to throw to Gary, they can. And it also gets those guys rest and sort of this multi-catcher system, which the Braves seem to do a lot. And that's why Tyler Flowers is so valuable because he's a great framer and above average hitting catcher. And he also doesn't play a lot. So his numbers don't really deteriorate. Uh, so I thought that that idea might've been good, but I knew the Yankees were never going to go that because they love Gary and they should, because he's really good. And I don't understand why people don't believe that, but he is a very good catcher. On the record. Yes. On the record, Gary Sanchez is good. But, yeah, I mean, the Yankees should make no free agent. I mean, the best pitcher on the market next year is probably Paxton. Uh, so they should bring him back. And then after that, it's probably either Bauer or Tanaka. Uh, and the Yankees t- seem to want to bring players back that already played for them. And they love Tanaka. So I, you know, I don't see any issues there with bringing him back. Uh, I would avoid Trevor Bauer with, like, a 10-foot pole. I think he is ridiculously inconsistent. Uh, but he's also a guy who wants to do that one-year contract thing, which by all means, God bless your soul if you want to do that, but I just don't see it worth it for a team like the Yankees where they don't really need to because at full strength, the pitching staff is what probably Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, James Jackson, Masahiro Tanaka, and then right now it's Jay Happ, and he was looking really good in spring training. and his Very whippy. Yeah, very whippy. His situation last year was really easily fixable. It's just they they didn't have the right pitching coach for him. And that's sort of – I really feel bad for Sonny Gray because if he were paired with Matt Blake, that guy would have excelled in New York. But it was yeah, I mean, we saw style. what he did in Cincinnati with, uh, with yeah. his college pitching coach, yeah. who I'm assuming was more about that. Like, let's look at what you do well. Let's look at your spin rates. Like, he spins the ball better than anyone. Let's use that. Yeah, exactly. Sunny podcast right here. Yeah, we're Sunny Gray was just a an, an example of, and I I am known as a Larry Rothschild defender because 
overall in his tenure, I think he did a good job, and I think he gets hit with too many things. But one of his main failures and a reason he was let go was Sonny Gray, and that's that's completely fair. Like, there's no argument against that. It was just a difference of philosophies, and it just didn't work. But perhaps issues last year were on that same line of just like a different voice was needed. All right. What else we got in the questions, Allison? Oh, I have to do them all. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't have them up. <laughs> okay. Um, so AJ, which is spelled A J A Y, um, wants to know what is your favorite Yankees moment during Aaron Boone's tenure. So the last two years, um, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I was thinking about it too. I was like, hmm. I don't know. I would probably say. I'd probably say either ALCS game four, the comeback, like the Gary Sanchez uh, uh, double is arguably one of the hype. coolest, coolest things I've seen as a baseball fan, uh, specifically for the Yankees. But I also think of um, the, Evan Daniel posted the video of it today. The, Gret, the, the Brett Gardner at bat, in ALDS game five in the top of the ninth against Cody Allen is one of, I mean, that at bat, he, if there's one at bat that summarizes the career of Brett Gardner, it's that one. That was just an incredible gutsy at bat. And it Don't was make just, me cry. Don't make me cry. I was, love that at bat. It was so good. So I would probably say, but that was 2017. So that's not in the Aaron Boone tenure. But that moment pops out in my mind. So I'd probably say both those moments for 2017. So I got to yeah. think of 2018. Ooh. You um, know, tough. I would probably say um, I, got, I got two. One, the Aaron, Dro- Aaron Judge home run again, off Justin Verlander is a good one. But I'm also going to go with the Giancarlo Stan walk-off versus the Mariners because that guy – is so ridiculously underrated by the fan base. He's, I mean, he is at his peak a top 10 player in baseball, probably. Like, he won an MVP, and I, I'm, as you guys probably know, I'm one of those people who says MVPs are very bad to judge off of, but he deserved that MVP. He legitimately did. He was one of the best players in the National League that year, and he was just a slight bit better than Joey Votto, and that's who he beat out, and he deserves that. And Stanton can do that again on one leg in 2018. That's what I always come back to. Everyone always says Stanton has to stay on the field. And I go back to 2018. I was like, he played the whole year. Not only did he play the whole year, but when literally every other superstar that the Yankees had was out, he carried that team. He was still there. There was a like two month stretch where John Carlos Stanton was like the fifth best hitter in baseball. And he carried the Yankees for a good while. But then the injury finally caught up to him at the end of the year. And he struggled in the postseason. But, you know, those struggles in the postseason, it was his first time ever in the postseason. He was clearly putting too much pressure on himself. But then you look at, he only played in four games in this past postseason. The Yankees won all four of them. And he had like a near 500 on base percentage in and those he was four great. games. He, he, they weren't pitching to him was the problem. He didn't get a ton of hits because they just they kept walking him. Yeah, I remember fine. he walked three times against the Astros, right? Am I remembering that correctly? It might have been like game three been or game four. Walk- or maybe been- it was the Twins. Mm-hmm. Just kept walking. And I was like, all yeah, right, just like- put him on. Whatever. That's but fine. 
that was the difference in the year made in Stanton. In 2018, he probably struck out in two of those three plate appearances. But in 2019, he knew himself, he knew what he wanted to do, and he knew that, I just got to get on base. Like, in the postseason, it does not matter. Just get on base. And he realized that. And so, he, granted, very small sample size, but he was very good in those four games. And he deserves a lot more credit than he got. Yes, he had fluke injuries in 2019, and obviously he was probably going to miss, if the season started on time, a little bit of early in the season. But he is still way better that people give him credit for. So if I had two moments to pick, it would be the Aaron Judge home runoff Verlander, and it would be the John Carlos Stanton walk-off, because Stanton is massively underrated by the fan base. And uh, he is one of three players I think is very underrated by the fan base. The other two are... We can't hold the 2019 injuries against the Yankees, because that was just, that was some freak shit going on. That was unbelievable. There was something up. And yet they still powered through and they were still so good it was a true epitome of brian cashman building up that farm system and making the right moves to make it happen even though they don't ever should have killed him don't ever question cashman again there's never i don't think there's another game in baseball who could have handled that situation better Mm -mm. uh but uh maybe mike rizzo but uh (laughs) what i was gonna say is Another moment that I think I think it's just kind of funny is the DJ LeMayhew home run in Game Six. I was having dinner with a high school friend of mine uh, that I hadn't seen since I had been back from Pennsylvania. So we we got dinner and the game was playing on the TV. And there's only there's only one other group of people there. So when DJ hits the home run, I'm like, let's go! And then obviously the walk off happens, and I'm just like, ah, there it is. <laughs> but obviously a very visible like, woo, let's go in a restaurant people there my friends are like dude calm down and i'm like come on man it's, it's the playoffs and obviously massive letdown 10 minutes later but it's all good but i uh, i think that moment's funny just because of like my reaction to it but obviously it didn't work out i mean if i have to give a moment i know it's not my question but i want to answer it because i know i watched this yesterday uh 2018 against the Red Sox when Brett Gardner had his go-ahead triple and then Aaron Judge hit just a monster shot into the um into yeah. center field off, um, yeah, off, off Craig Kimbrell. Kimbrell right off Craig Kimbrell didn't off Gardner Craig Kimbrell work, yeah didn't he work like another eight pitch at bat in that yeah. one too yeah yeah okay. of classic, every quintessential Gardner moment is he yeah. at least works at five pitches it's if it's you're watching a gardener at that, and it's a big moment. It's going to be five pitches automatically. At least. At Every least. Time. And that's, as I said, I think there's a lot of value in that that doesn't get recorded. Well, I was also watching that game in 2017 uh, the other day when he hit the three-run home run against the Cubs, which yeah, is still one of my favorite moments. That was like an eight-pitch at bat. Yeah, that was like either six or seven pitches. So he just kept fighting it off, fighting it off, found what he wanted, and then he just crushed it. But my favorite part about that 2018 game against the Red Sox was the fact that Mookie Betts was playing him so shallow. Like, if he was playing him normal speed, he might have gotten the ball. It would have been really close, but no. Yeah, he was playing him shallow because he wanted a chance to throw out, I think, either right. a tying or go-ahead runner. And mm-hmm. yep. it just ended up back. It wasn't, like, a wrong decision. It just was like, ah. <laughs> And it really came back to bite. And Gardner probably Absolutely. was like, I'm going to shoot it over his head. <laughs> it's like when one sneaks through the shift. Like you put all your defenders on the right yeah. side of the infield and then you just cue ball one to the left. 
And it's just like, ah, like, I know we did the right thing, but that still hurts. Yes. It's, it's, it's always hurtful when the, the right thought process leads to the wrong result. And I think about that in regards to basically anything of like, well, you went about it right. It just didn't work out. And that's, that's baseball. That is baseball summed up in sentences. The right pro- thought process can lead to the wrong result, and the wrong thought process can lead to the right result. Awesome. I got to stick with an Aaron Boone memory for that one. Just, yeah. just the first time. I, I don't know if it was the first time he got thrown out, but I always complained in 2018 that I didn't think he was you know, going on rants enough. His first year as manager, I guess maybe he didn't want to get tossed that much, but I wanted him to stick up for the guys a little bit more. And then in 2019, he broke off that rant, not the Savages, the one where he got down in the catcher's position and showed the umpire what a ball was and what a strike was. And I was like, all right, like we're in it now. This is, this is Aaron Boone, the manager. And I love him. He got tossed like five times in 2019. Didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. And actually some of those times he was actually a lot of those times he was really defending. Like I just am thinking of the Brett Gardner one where they threw out Brett Gardner in Toronto and he comes out and Aaron Boone's just like literally trying to hold him back. And then he's like, okay, you know what? Screw it. I'm just gonna fight with the umps anyway. And then he got kicked out too. So Yeah, I mean the the main job of, of an umpire or of a coach in that regard is just defend your players at all times. Mm-hmm. And yep. Boone I I every time Boone got, got tossed too, I actually thought it was funny because he was usually right. Like Oh yeah. It's 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 rare that a, a coach gets tossed and they're on the right side of things. It's I willfully admit that, that it's rare. But it was hilarious that of like three uh, three or four times last year he got tossed. I was like, he got tossed because he was right. That's kind of weird. But there was a whole thing with the umpires last year. It was it was a, a little strange. All right. Um, so a couple quick questions we can uh, do to wrap up. But um, and I think I might know the answer to this, but I'm not going to give it away. Um, so Jeff asks the best ways to help get noticed, like how you were by the nationals. Uh, the, in, in terms of, I mean, obviously it just depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to work in baseball, the, the best thing you can do is just put yourself in baseball working scenarios. If you want to work, like for me, I worked for a collegiate summer team and then I went to work for sports info solutions and they saw that on my resume and they had read some of the work that I had written with ESMY and myself and uh, some of the stuff I wrote at Sports Info Solutions too. So it's just like putting out content as much as possible in terms of just getting noticed. Um, I, I think of the story, this is unrelated to sports, but I think the story is great, is the lead singer of Foster the People put pumped up kicks on the cafe website that he worked at, and that's how it got noticed. People would go to this cafe website and be like, this song's really good. And that's how it got noticed. And that's all it really takes is one person reads your stuff and goes, this person's really smart. And then, you know, they contact you and see what you want to do. For me, it was just, uh, you know, I got lucky that the Nationals video coordinator saw my resume and with my experience on there. And, you know, there were a thousand people that applied for this position and somehow they thought I was smart enough to take it and going to do well in the position. And I'm obviously very grateful for that. But Getting noticed is just do things that can get you noticed. Go work for baseball teams. If you want to cover baseball, write, start a blog, write for a website. Uh, if you want to, you know, do broadcasting in baseball or, you know, be a color analyst in baseball, 
try if you're in school still try and apply and work as you know the radio guy for the school radio station um just doing things that can set yourself up to put yourself in a better position to get the position that you want to do like if you want to work in baseball ops or in baseball on the team side go work for if you're in school go work with the school baseball team if you're in college you know be a student manager uh, if you want to work for a data analytics company, that's a very good starting point too. Obviously, you know, I'm, if you want to work for Sports Info Solutions, I loved my time there. I would recommend it. If you want to write, yeah, start a blog, write for a website, and just write as much as possible. The, the best way to get better at writing is to do more of it. Um, start a podcast. You know, talk about baseball. So that way, you have another way of like expressing. Maybe you're not the best writer, but you're very good at orally explaining your views, start a podcast, uh, but just do as much as you possibly can that you can point to on a resume or point to of like, this is tangible evidence of what I can do. Great life advice in general, not even just for baseball. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, just as do as many things as you can, that you can point to of like, this is what I can do and what I can, I can show you what I can do. That's really all people want to know is what can you do and can you show us? Awesome. All right. And last but not least, Simon, who uh, is an at BetsMVP50. Hmm. So a Red Sox fan, potentially. Yeah. Um, what, <laughs> what kind of college classes do you think helped you most in acquiring the skills or knowledge necessary to get a job in baseball? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't recommend, like, doing this, if, you know, you're not an economics major, but I took an economics of strategy class, which was basically you looked at different industries and you sort of analyzed the decisions that they made and the costs and the benefits and how certain things intertwine with each other and how things were set up. And that class just basically taught, it was basically a logic class, but amplified to decision-making in business. Um, and that class was fantastic. Um, I took a philosophy class that helped me become a better writer because it sort of just ta taught me how to make better points, how to make your argument a little bit more co coherent. And I actually think philosophy classes are very useful because they sort of, that's what they're aimed to do is make you better at arguing and not necessarily arguing in terms of like, we're going to debate this or something. It's more of like, here's a viewpoint and I'm going to try and persuade you on this viewpoint. Um, but for, it really just depends on what you want to do. If you want to do, you know, data analytics and sort of like building models and understanding certain things on a data side, then taking coding classes and computer science classes and stuff like that, that's very useful. But probably the most useful classes in terms of applying it to what I do now would be either a philosophy class or an economics or strategy class. But if you're not an economics person, don't do that uh it's very very complicated and very much focuses on like economic concepts and theories and stuff and if you have no knowledge of that stuff it'll just get it'll make no sense to you it'll be gibberish yeah we do have one question that has come in under the wire i, I was have gonna to warn let you, you handle that one <laughs> yeah i have to warn you it's of the utmost importance it is a debate that's been going on at esny uh, for... i have heard of this debate Yep, there we go. He already knows. He already knows. Yeah, right? 
It's been going on for months and months and months. What do you think of Thin Mints? What's your favorite Girl Scout cookie? <laughs> I actually, so I have a very weird diet of like, I'm not a huge sugar person. So I don't like really eat cookies that much. But I, I mean. If you had oh, to, if you were forced at gunpoint to eat a Girl Scout cookie. Well, what one? are, what, what are the options? Well, I can't eat, some of them have peanut butter, so I can't eat those. because I'm. Oh, already. well, that, that's a lot. Thin Mints question. are good. Thin Mints are in the clear. Yeah, thin mints are thin mints are fine. They're they're solid. They're a solid choice. Um, I think that's most routinely known as the most common answer for the best Girl Scout cookie is thin mints. Yes, and sir. I don't really, yes, I don't really have any reason no to disagree with that logic. Um, like, but again, there's a. I think the main thing of the Girl Scout cookies is I can't eat a lot of them, <laughs> so I don't. But uh, I also like. I'm just not a huge sugar sweets kind of guy. Like my sugar and sweets is limited to pretty much just ice cream and donuts. That's like it. that's the only sweets that I eat, and I I've really tried to cut down on those. Okay, I'm putting you down for thin mints in this argument. So you can have another one on I'm my good team. That. I, He's I'm good, good with that. that. We yeah. did it. Good All right, up. man. Well, uh, thanks for coming on again, Allison. Thank do you have anything you. else? Yeah, I just want to quickly say. Um, this is not even just for Max. This is for everybody. But um, I'm really enjoying this week. This has also been the longest week I've had so far. I don't know about you guys, how you feel about that. But, like, this week has been so long. However, it seems to be Brett Gardner Appreciation Week, and I'm just loving it. It's the greatest thing. Everyone is just pulling up at bats from 2017, 2018, 2019. I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, I, as I said, I think he has had a very underrated career. The guy's going to end up with more than likely over 40 Fangraphs war and around 45 baseball reference war. And there was a time he had like a seven win season at one point, eight win season, because he was so good defensively in center field. And he's still really good defensively. He has had an under, he's not going to get into the Hall of Fame, but that's fine. He's going to be remembered as a very good player for the Yankees for a long time. And he's gonna people are gonna look back and say, like, man, I really probably underrated how good he was. You all did. <laughs> not me though. I did not. I'm gonna no, stand no. on the record you, with that. You have been his you have been his mo well, maybe not Second his most habit. Yeah, that, that woman might have you beat there because she's <laughs> but she's not. I don't know well, if that really Okay, here's what I will say that I am the most. I am the most. I'm the top Brett Gardner hype girl. I am the hype girl. I will hype him up. I will not stalk him, but I will hype him up. In terms of sane fans, you're probably at the top of that list because she's she's not sane. She's on a different. Max thinks I'm sane. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a mistake, man. (laughs) My interactions, she's insane. All right, great, good. Okay, we we should end there. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll wrap it up. Again, man, thanks for coming on again. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. See ya. See ya.